Welcome to another episode of Space Flicks. This is the podcast where we review a movie and decide if it's worth the cost of beaming out to a lonely astronaut in the far reaches of space. I'm Dan. I'm Adam. And this week we're talking about The Wolf of Snow Hollow. This is yes. um, this is the latest film from writer-director, right? I'm not making that up. Writer-director and, and right. actor Jim Cummings. Yeah, triple threat. Triple threat, yeah. Um, why don't you read the synopsis, Adam? Terror grips a small mountain town as bodies are discovered after each full moon. Losing sleep, raising a teenage daughter, and caring for his ailing father... Officer Marshall struggles to remind himself there's no such thing as werewolves. <laughs> struggles to remind himself. <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about uh, expectations and first impressions. You want to go first? Sure. So um, I think I was the one who recommended we do this movie. And the reason I was excited to watch it and do a Space Flicks episode about it was uh, significantly um, influenced by the preceding movie that Jim Cummings had written, directed, and starred in, which is a movie called Thunder Road, is a sort of, I think, uh, was viewed as a pretty uh, winning, uh, low-budget indie movie and um, has, it's just a very, uh, to me, delightful blend of uh, really odd humor, um, really sort of intense emotional acting, uh, and a really sort of idiosyncratic script. And so, um, I was just like, I very much enjoyed that movie Mm -hmm. and was really excited to see what Jim Cummings would do next. And so when I, I didn't even, I did not know this movie, uh, existed, I think until after it came out, right? Like it was one of those things where I I hadn't been eagerly anticipating it. I just somehow, you know, somewhere on the interwebs found, I was like the wolf of snow hollow, the latest by Jim Cummings. And I was like, what, this is a thing. Let's watch this (laughs) immediately. So I was very eager for it based on sort of that prior work. And the, um, the trailer had all the same hallmarks, almost, uh, almost laughably. So as uh, thunder road, which is sort of this, um, barely repressed anger in the main character, a really sort of, uh, strange awkward script and a fun premise right Mm -hmm. like a horror comedy um so i was just sort of uh i was very eager for it and was ready for something that wasn't you know a major hollywood um motion picture i was ready for something that had that kind of like light but odd tone yeah and and to be clear about something thunder road is not a horror comedy right No, it is a sort of pretty classic indie drama, comedy drama drama. kind of thing. Yeah, I I haven't seen Thunder Road. Um, Now I'm really interested in seeing it. But but yeah, you're referring. I mean, also, he he plays a police officer right in Thunder Road. And um, I I watched the trailer for that film. So I can tell that in both films, he he's he's a character who doesn't exactly have everything together. Right. 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 (laughs) Um, Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I had like I just said, I hadn't seen Thunder Road. I haven't really heard of Jim Cummings before this movie. So all I had going in was the fact that you seemed quite intrigued to see it. And um, I watched the trailer and it definitely caught my interest. I mean, it definitely looked like it had a really unique feel to it. Um, it looked kind of playful. Um, it looked like it might genuinely have some scares, 
but still be quite playful and fun and just, you know, a good time. It's kind of what, yeah. what it looked like it would be to me. So yeah. I, I was really looking forward to it, but really just based on that. Um, and I think, you know, you can sort of tell, like uh, it's rare that a trailer looks like a movie would be really well made when the movie isn't really well made, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, I guess it happens, but I, I felt pretty confident that I was going to at least like this movie. Um, now as far as first impressions, I got to say, I would, I would say I definitely liked it more than I was expecting. I, I okay. thought it was going to be a good time, but, um, coming out, I was just like, wow, that was, that was like pretty awesome. I mean, um, I think, I think the, the comedy in the film, it, it was almost like what, not even pure comedy. The comedy was always sort of mixed with, you know, something very relatable or something, right. something that seemed very real, like not slapsticky and not, not just constructed, you know, manufactured humor. It was, it was like real human, you know, believable character interactions that were just funny. Like they would be funny in real life. Um, is kind of where I felt like all the comedy came from. And I thought that was really, really well done. Um, I, I do think as far as the main plot of the film, there were some elements of it that I didn't quite follow or understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Some things that came together in a certain way where I, where I looking back was like, I don't, I don't know if that was explained or if I had just missed it. Um, so I think it was a bit of a miss on that front for me, just as far as like a, the mystery plot side of it. Um, yeah. But that, that takes a pretty distant um, backseat in my book from just the character work and the, um, and the humor. So overall, I really loved it. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I, re I really quite liked it. I think um, in some ways for all the reasons that I liked Thunder Road, I, I, liked this, I liked this movie as well. Now, that being said, this is a different movie, right? It's a horror comedy as opposed to sort of just a more straightforward drama um, but I think all the things that I like, especially about Jim Cummings, the, the fact that he's sort of great at being this very sort of all American appearing mm -hmm. sort of person. Uh, the fact that he sort of casts himself as a cop mm -hmm. twice. Um, but the fact that he does this great job of coming unglued and sort of like lashing out and like increasingly sort of, um, you know, desperate and sort of obviously broken ways mm -hmm. at the people around him. Uh, but he does it in such a way that it's both like pathetic and funny and sad. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of like, I just think he, he's figured out a way to be on this sort of perfect wavelength that I really respond to. Um, and so I, I liked that quite a lot about the movie. I agree, um, that some of sort of the, the plot elements of the film. I was like, did they not film a scene <laughs> or something? Right. right. Um, but I thought, uh, but aside from that, I thought basically, I just sort of spent a few minutes talking about Jim Cummings specifically, but I thought a lot of the performances were very winning. Yeah. Um, you know, including, uh, Robert Forster, I thought was very good. In his final performance. Uh, in his final performance. How, how sad is yeah. that? I mean, it's, it's great that he gets to be in a he movie. Ends on a that's interesting. Note. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, Ricky Lindholm, I quite liked her performance. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, I just think it's a, it's a winning movie all around, I think. Uh, and it, it, it again makes me very excited for the next thing. Um, I don't, I think if the next thing shares as many similarities as this movie does <laughs> can't be a cop with again. Thunder Road, I'll start getting a little bit tired of that particular approach. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I, I quite liked it. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, I know this is going to be a very strange comparison, but I think you and I are at least some on some level fans of the band The Strokes. And I remember their first yes. two albums were very similar to each other. And, yes. and we I remember talking about them at one point and being like, I really like both albums, but they sort of can't do a third album that's exactly like this again, <laughs> right? They have to do right. something a little more different. And they did. Right. They, they, I think they changed it up just enough on the third one that it was like, that's right. It was like, we got to start going in different directions. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel the same, not having seen Thunder Road, just having seen the trailer, I suspect I feel the same way. Like he has to play, if he's going to be the main character in his next film again, he should not be a police officer. It should, it should be a little different, you know, or maybe he could even have a police officer as the main character in his next film, as long as it's not him, <laughs> you know, he just right, has to change right. it up somehow. So it's not, not seen as like the one thing he can do. Right. Right. Um, now I, I do think there is a very practical element in, uh, casting yourself as the lead actor oh, yeah. and the, and writing the film and directing it. It's like, you are getting basically three for the price of one, uh, right? True. Yeah, it's um, very economical. And you know exactly what you can do as a performer, and so you can write your lead character to do those things that you know you know how to do. Yeah. My understanding is these movies are relatively micro-budget movies, right? and so um, they don't have a lot of you know extra budget to throw around at like, you know, at finding the movie, right. They sort of have to know what it is walking in. Mm -hmm. And so I think, um, I would be very keen for him to direct somebody else in the lead role of his next movie and potentially him play a smaller part or something like that. Cause I think he's as talented a performer as he is. I just, I think there's an argument to be made. Like if you give him the opportunity to give you a different look, I, I would be very keen to under to see sort of what he's capable of yeah i mean you see someone who's clearly got a lot of talent like he does you you being the audience i think you naturally want to see them push themselves you know you want to see them stretch themselves in new ways because right. it's sort of like i can see all the potential there i can see all the raw materials are there so i know you can do more stuff right the talent is evident right so i just want to see you do more stuff you know right um so that we all benefit um, okay. What are the, what would you say the themes of this movie are if you had to, which you do? Cause this is a segment we do. You are required by, <laughs> look at your contract, Adam. You're required to talk about this. Yeah. Um, there's certainly a father son thing as always going on in yes, this movie. As there is in and, half the uh, movies we watch. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I suppose more broadly than father son, it's more like fathers and children. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, cause in this film, he, and, he and his daughter have a pretty central relationship as well. Yeah. Pretty fraught. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, which I, I don't really know, um, what I think about that. Uh, I think cause the, the relationship that, uh, Jim Cummings character has with Robert Forrester's character, it, 
is quite different, like exceedingly different than the relationship that he has with his daughter. There's some um, similarities too, though. I think there's definitely a common thread there is having a father who's very much not perfect, right? Um, okay. Like it, it, in that many people maybe want to, you know, there's a sort of an idealized image of the father who is kind of in charge and in control and, Mm -hmm. you know, can protect you and, um, sort of knows what's best. But in this film, I think both he and his father are dads who kind of fall short in a number of those ways. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and I think the film does a good job depicting what the experience of the child is in that relationship where you sort of want Mm -hmm. your dad to be that, but you have to deal with the reality that he's not right. Yeah. 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 There's something about having a imperfect father that causes the children to have to sort of grow up in ways that they don't, they're not sort of prepared to do Mm -hmm. right. Or maybe don't, or, or almost resentful for having to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's definitely uh, something that I picked up on. The, the other thing, and I think the movie sort of plays this to really great comedic effect, but there's this idea of uh, what you know to be true and what everybody else asserts is true mm-hmm. and how they are different, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And how, he's, and how uh, his character's like, uh, everybody's like, everybody says it's a wolf, right? Right. <laughs> Everybody says it looks like a big wolf. He's like, no, it's a man. Yeah. When do I get to be right about yeah, something? Yeah. Right. Um, just this idea of, uh, and I think the movie does a great job of increasingly make it seem like he's wrong. Right. Right. Um, like all the evidence points to him being wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those situations where like the movie, he's so, uh, beaten down by like nobody believing that he has got the right idea. Um, and there's something very sort of, uh, it's, they play it very funny, but they play it very sad. It's like when everybody around you loses confidence in, in your ability to sort of get it right. Mm -hmm. Um, how that's a really sort of damaging feeling. And you sort of wonder, like, I, I doubt this was the case on this film, but I imagine there are some parallels between that and, like, being a film director on a low-budget oh, film, sure. right? Yeah. Like, you are responsible for shepherding this thing when potentially nobody sees the value but you, yeah. right? Nobody, And I'm sort of thinking about how the Safdie brothers would talk about uncut gems, right? How they're like, we understand why this movie is going to be great, but I can't quite always persuade everybody else to see it the way I see it. Mm, And so, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's an element of sort of that I've got a vision for how this thing needs to go. And it's really difficult for me to persuade these important folks around me to, to see it the way that I do. Yeah. I think a, a, a related theme that to me stood out, which I think overlaps a little bit with that one is, is a theme of almost like, a quixotic theme of, you know, wanting to try to do something when it seems impossible or no one believes you're capable of it or Mm -hmm. the people that you're supposed to rely on to kind of help you achieve it are kind of checked out 
and, mm-hmm. and don't believe that it's feasible, you know? Um, I think the main character in this film, he's not, he's not completely alone in this. He's not the only character who like wants to solve this crime, but he, there's definitely other police officers on the force with him who are just like, we're not going to be able to handle that. You know, just like let the federal, you know, yeah, like right. let the FBI come in and take care of it or whatever. And he's just like, no, <laughs> like it's our <laughs> job to do that. We got to try to do it, you know? Um, right. which I, I think that was so, uh, that was one of my favorite kind of threads in the film was just how increasingly right. exasperated he was getting with his colleagues who didn't seem to really be doing a very, you know, trying very hard to solve the case. Yeah. And he's like, this right. is our jobs. <laughs> like, this is what yeah. we're supposed to do. I don't care that you think we're not going to be able to do it. Like, you still have to try, you know? Right, um, right. Which, um, and, and the toll that takes, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's a theme of the film too. The idea of, I think it's very praiseworthy, you know, um, the idea of wanting to go against these sort of insurmountable odds and, and try to do your duty, even if no one else believes you can. Um, but also kind of recognizing the fact that that is exhausting and you can only sort of do it for so long without support before you just break down. Yeah. And I think, um, without getting into spoiler territory, I think, the exhaustion that sort of accompanies trying to drag people with you, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, is something that by the end of the film, uh, I think in many ways he's he's basically decided he's like, I have to do this by just myself, by myself, right? right? There's n- like there's nobody else who's going to help me, yeah. so I just have to do yeah. it, um, which is you know again a useful metaphor for probably making a underfunded indie <laughs> film. The whole thing is just a metaphor for his experiences. All films are just metaphors for themselves. Right. That's right. Um, okay. So we hit on a few themes there. Any others you'd like to mention before we move on? Uh, uh, there's something about, um, competent women in this movie. Okay. And like being overlooked, or presumed to be less uh, of like a leadership figure than their male counterparts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's one character specifically who sort of stands out in that regard, but um, but I definitely feel like the movie sort of feathers that in throughout, mm-hmm. and and certainly aims to pay it off at the end. Yeah, um, you're you're referring to. Um the character who was sort of the main one I had in mind when I said he wasn't completely alone. Um, Ricky Lindholm, her, yes. her character. Yeah. Is, is sort of the other competent police officer on the force, you know, who's yeah. also making an earnest effort, but what's, what's interesting. And I think this is kind of what you're getting at when you juxtapose them, he's the one who's sort of having a breakdown because he's getting so upset about, you know, right. n- not having the support that he really ought to have whereas she's just kind of calmly just doing her job yeah right just puts her head down and yeah gets it done. she's, she's right. really not whining about it she's um you know i think they they do have a bit of a camaraderie i think they never actually explicitly address it in the movie but they sort of just have this relationship as these characters it's like we know we're the only ones who actually give a crap <laughs> and are and right. are trying to solve this case um right but yeah she's she's um she's just tr- trying to make the best 
uh, with what she's got right in this film. Um, so yeah, I could see that being a bit of a theme as well, for sure. Let's get into, I mean, unless you have any more you want to talk about in themes, why don't we just get into spoilers and talk best parts of the movie? Yeah. Auga. All right, folks, that's the spoiler warning. And I actually do think if you haven't seen the film, um, you should maybe tune out just because I, I really like this movie and <laughs> I would recommend seeing it without it being spoiled for you if you can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, especially, you know, like some movies we talk about, it doesn't really matter if you see it mm-hmm. or not because that movie's going to be fine. Right. Like trial of Chicago seven is going to be fine. Tenet is going to be fine. Yeah. Right. Uh, yes, they, you know, maybe they wanted to make a hundred, $200 million or $500 million and they're only going to make $400 million, but they're still going to be well compensated. This movie's going to make this, maybe this movie, yeah. a quarter of a million I bucks. Would, I you know would what like, I mean? like for people to see this movie. Yeah. Pay for yeah, it and see it, it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, if you haven't, please pause the podcast, <laughs> go watch the movie. It's a short movie. Uh, come back and we will resume our conversation for the rest of you who have seen the movie. Let's continue. Yeah. That's, that's another thing. It's rare for a film to be, this movie is an hour and 23 minutes. Is that right? That's yeah. so rare. These it, days. I mean, well, yeah, it's real short. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one of my, <laughs> um, the, the thing I was talking about, uh, of the, the theme I was talking about with him just becoming increasingly exasperated with people, those scenes, are definitely among some of my favorite scenes. Like I was, I was laughing out loud. I was like, couldn't wipe the smile off my face. Cause I just loved how fed up he was getting with his, <laughs> with his, you know, coworkers basically. I think, I right. think probably my favorite like line <laughs> in the film is when he's just like, do your job do your job. I am begging you, you know, like, cause he, he's asking the other guy to like check for fingerprints on the, on the, you know, phone, on the pay yeah, phone. The pay yeah. phone. And yeah. he's like, look, if he didn't leave prints, you know, here, he's not going to have left him on the pay phone. And he's just like, do you have anything better to do? Like, this is <laughs> right, literally right. all you have to do. Like, don't tell me it's not going to work. Just freaking do it. <laughs> right. I, I was like laughing yes. so hard. Cause I was like, I, I so relate, you know, like, it's like I was right there with him. I was just like, what is with these police officers like complaining about? Yeah, like, it's not going to work. I don't feel like doing it. It's like this is literally all you're supposed to do. We're supposed to solve this crime. <laughs> this is a very logical thing for you to be doing. Just freaking do it. Right. And he's like, right. it's like kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> or like, um. I think the movie does a uh, a good job, and I'm sure I'm only picking up on a fraction of the references, but I feel like there's a lot of different other movies that this uh, film is meant to sort of uh, be paying homage to. So one of them in uh, the sequence after the first murder, after the first were- were- <laughs> werewolf, after the first attack, right, um, there's a crime scene, and he's spending a lot of his effort trying to like secure the crime scene and keep the media away Mm -hmm. and like communicate with his fellow officers. And it was very much like, I don't know if you've seen the Bong Joon-ho memories of murder. No, I haven't seen that movie. So there's a great crime scene, securing a crime scene sequence in that film. Mm -hmm. And basically it's just sort of like, 
obvious how it's extremely hard to secure a crime scene when there's lots of different departments and lots of different government agencies and the media and onlookers and like it's, and in that particular movie it's raining. Mm. Right. And and so it's just like, it's really hard to make that happen. It's just this chaotic sequence. And there's a scene in this movie that really reminded me of that. And the sequence when uh, sort of the, the punctuation at the end of that sequence, when uh, one of his officers sort of calls out a piece of like, very sort of salacious evidence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, media catnip, right? And he turns to the to the car, the the van that's carrying the journalist, and you just see the window slowly roll up, <laughs> right? Yeah. And he goes to his coworker. He's like, "Can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then like takes him out, sort of further out into the woods, and just like berates him, yeah. right? Uh, just I think that type of escalating tension yeah. in a sequence yeah. uh, of him just getting increasingly frustrated uh, is exact. I sort of had the same feeling just like the sequence where at the payphone, where it's like, guys, like you are being incompetent at this yeah. right yeah. now. The, 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 I think the thing that makes it sort of a little bit um, more uh, like a little bit sad is the additional fact that he's probably not that good at his job either. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's true. like, He's in, a, he's a, over his head. Right. Um, but, but just his like emotional, his like increasingly fraying emotional state is, I think, one of the delights of the film. Yeah. That's something that I felt was a little not, not unclear in a bad way. Almost like the movie intentionally made it a little ambiguous whether he was actually a good cop or not, meaning like skilled. Right. You know, right. he clearly cared. Um, Right. And he's and it doesn't he's not depicted as incompetent, I don't think. Um he's not he's not depicted as like a buffoon. Well, you think I he think might be probably, depicted as incompetent? Well, I think his alcoholism has a lot to do with that. Oh, for sure. Oh, right? that's I mean absolutely. Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to. I, when you factor in the alcoholism, then yes, in the scenes there's like a stretch of the film where he's pretty much useless for a, right. a good stretch right. of it because of he's just getting drunk and he's but that's him, that's him sort of failing to cope with the stress. I think right. there's a lot of scenes right. leading up to when he finally does kind of give in, right, and break his, his, um, his like, pretty long, successful period of sobriety. Um, yeah. Where he's trying to look into the case and not really making any progress, you know. Right. And he's certainly accused of being incompetent. Like, the townspeople are all, you know, there's this sort of refrain, like, I could have solved this already, <laughs> Right. Right. Of people just right. like claiming that they could have done a better job than he's been doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the coroner. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just so many people second guessing him. And I think in some ways that is deserved. Right. Um, but at the same time, well, like, I think he's a cop. I mean, people are being murdered, you know. Right. And I think he's a cop who probably on his best day, and let's pretend the very beginning of the movie, he's at his best. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he's probably still like not great, yeah. you know, he's, he's like fine, but probably not great. Um, cause it's the family business, right? His father's the sheriff. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's an element of just him inheriting the throne 
and I think he sort of comes off like somebody who's just kind of inheriting their high position potentially. Yeah. Um, and not quite having the chops or not quite having earned that role. And not quite um, having the respect of the force either, right? I mean, right. there's an early scene after the first case where they're at a diner and he's sort of just like setting up the plan you know, he's kind of like mm-hmm. making these kind of ad hoc assignments to people. He's like, all right, we're going to, this, this is how we're going to like pursue this case. Everybody good. Mm-hmm. And then just one of, one of the other cops is like, no, we're not going to do all right. that stuff you just said. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is sort of the beginning of the, you know, of the movies sort of like gradual, you know, revelation of this guy does not have the support he needs. He's, he's. Right. And, and, and maybe right. he's not super competent, you know, but I think it's, I think the reason for me, it's a little ambiguous. It's kind of hard to tell is like, he's telling people what to do and they're just not doing it. So like, you know, if, if they, if they did do what he was saying, how much more, you know, how much more success would they have had in the investigation? It's hard to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. Kind of historical. Anyway, any other, uh, what other favorite parts of the movie would you cite? You know, uh, um, one of the things that the movie does a great job of is there are a series of attacks mm-hmm. on, you know, um, you know, these poor ladies, these, these victims in this film are being attacked by, and the movie portrays it as like, uh, it's initially a little bit mysterious and played a little bit obliquely so that you don't quite know what thing is attacking these women. Right. And then as the movie progresses, it becomes increasingly clear. The movie sort of shows very visibly like what this thing what appears is. to be a wolf. Yeah. Right. And it's this giant wolf. And and it's um, just the the sort of suspension of disbelief that the it's this interesting sort of like uh, in between space where the movie is both showing you like this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Right. But at the same time, you're sort of like, is this what it is? <laughs> right? Like this can't, can this be right? Um, and so I just liked that feeling of the movie sort of playing it very straight in a way. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I, I totally thought it was a werewolf. I mean, you know, I thought the movie was sort of setting it up like in this world, there is a werewolf in this town. But totally. This, but yes. this cop just it won't accept it, and everyone else is right. right you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it even, you know, I remember there's this there's this reveal. It's probably about halfway through the film, where they really make it seem like there's this you know guy who lives in a trailer, who yes probably is the wolf like drug drug addict yeah. right like probably yeah. like a full moon comes out and he turns into a wolf and then he kills people and then he turns back into a human and goes back to his trailer and who knows if he even remembers it. Right. Like, but this character is going to be important. That's the, that's very much yeah. what the movie has you believe about halfway yes. through. Um, and I think it's pretty, it's pretty satisfying to me how it, how it does that, how it sort of, you know, starts out where at the beginning of the movie, you would just naturally assume it's not a wolf just like him because there's no real clear, evidence that it is right and then the movie suggests that it really is a wolf and then it turns out it's a guy in a wolf costume right but like right but that all the movie i feel like 
it never really cheats, right? It sort of presents right. things pretty str- in a pretty straightforward way to have you believe things a certain way. Um, yeah. And uh, and so that the ending doesn't feel like, oh, that's cheap. You know, it, it feels like, oh, <laughs> okay, I get, I guess I see what it was now all this time, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, it like it hangs together. Yeah, it makes sense at the end, but like every step along the way, I don't feel like I was cheated. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like by the, by the end of the film when you realize what it was, you don't then say like, "Well, then that earlier thing doesn't make sense." Right? If that's the case, right? right? Like it's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that, it's plausible." Yeah. Um, yeah. But one of my favorite bits, like, and so as, you know, we increasingly see more and more of these attacks. Um, the one that obviously I think is meant to have the highest sort of emotional stakes is when uh, his daughter uh, is, you know, out, sn- snuck out to see her boyfriend, mm-hmm. right? And they're in a car and they're trying to sort of have a romantic moment in the car. And then the the wolf, the wolf man, mm-hmm. right, sort of um, attacks their car and, uh, you know, Jim Cummings, you know, gets the call on the radio and he hoofs it over to that location and just starts like unloading a shotgun mm-hmm. like in a on a residential street at this monster and uh then realizes his daughter has like fallen out of the car and has hurt has hit her head and needs to go to the hospital. And she's like not wearing any and, pants. <laughs> right. And you know, it's just like a very um raw, confused, emotionally fraught moment and he is basically confronted with this tension between these two things that he cares deeply about solving this case and keeping his daughter safe, right? Mm. Being at kind of odds with each other. Yeah. And uh, he makes kind of arguably the wrong choice in that moment, right? Um, like, at least from his daughter's point of view, he does, mm-hmm. right? And I just really loved that moment because I understood how deeply desperate and desperately he wanted to like catch this thing yeah. so that this could be done. It's right in front of him. Right. But the only daughter he has, right. The only child he has is like on the ground bleeding and needs his help. And he can't, he can't figure out how to navigate that moment. Well, right. Well, see, I, I mean, I know what you mean about him making the wrong choice, but I found his his handling of the situation incredibly relatable personally because yeah because what what happens is he gets really mad at her and yes and I think because I, I, I put myself in his shoes and I'm like yeah I'd be freaking mad you know because because as her father in this moment it's actually like my choice is obvious I'm gonna stay with my daughter. But I'm right. mad at her for being here and making me have right. to make that choice. You know, yeah. like you're supposed to be at home. Now I have to, I mean, I'm obviously going to stay with you, right? I'm not going to leave you. Like I, right. I am your dad and I do care about you more than I care about catching this thing. But I really wanted to catch this thing and you shouldn't even be here, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I totally get how he's mad. And then she's like, you know, I hurt myself my head is bleeding. Mm-hmm. You're really going to get mad at me right now? And he's just like, yes, I'm mad at you. <laughs> right, um, right. You know, I, I'm sure, uh, to me, it's a very relatable dad sort of moment, like the sort of thing yeah. that the next day, 
you're definitely going to feel bad that your daughter was bleeding and you were yelling at her. But in the moment you're so bewildered and we're not expecting her to be there at all. And the fact that she's there totally, you know, compromises your your ability to actually catch the thing that actually the very thing that caused her to be injured, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, that was, I thought that was a really good scene. Um, yeah, I just, I just, it, it, for all the reasons you just described, I just felt like the the tension between the emotions that sort of you should be feeling, but naturally you understandably are feeling, mm-hmm. and sort of the competing sort of draws of like I need to chase this thing, right? But I need to be with you, and ju- I just felt like they played it for all in all the right ways. Yeah. It just worked for me in all the ways that it's intended to work. Yeah. Um, how about the ending? What'd you think of the, the very last kind of scene where he goes to the dude's house? Uh, this was the, this was the bit where, uh, I'd felt like one or two sort of plot developments felt like they had been skipped. Yeah, for sure. Right? I, it, I don't, I, it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, you remember the movie midnight special? How yeah. I was just like, this movie leaves too much out. Uh, there's too yeah. much that you just can't make sense of. Um, this movie reminded me of that a little bit where the final, basically from when, you know, the coroner is like, we got the guy, you know, because it was basically like, we found this guy, he had the bodies at his place and, you know, and he was a meth addict or whatever it was. So he's definitely mm-hmm. the guy. From there, you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It's over, right? Yeah, but, this is all But then there's something now. with this sewing, you know, <laughs> this like piece of sewing equipment. And then That's his right. partner races to, to, to interfere. And then it turns out that was the guy. I'm, I, just, I just couldn't quite, I mean, put it this way. I feel like I have a guess as to what happened, but I am still not clear on like the explanation. The it seems like what happened was obviously we find the guy. It's the guy who owned the the property that they were renting from in the first place, right? Who mm-hmm. is a tall guy who's also into like taxidermy. It seems, mm-hmm. or he is a taxidermist. Yeah, he's a taxidermist. And he was dressing up as a wolf and killing people. And then he was, mm-hmm. I guess, dumping their bodies in this this drug addict's, like, outside his trailer. Right? <laughs> Did they have some yeah, sort of agreement? I, or was that clear at all? Uh, no, I don't think the connection between those two men was ever made explicit. But the bodies I are finding their missed, way over there somehow. Yeah, I missed that detail, actually. I missed the detail that the... Bo- that like expressly the bodies of the victims were being found at the meth addict's home. I thought it was like there were th- like th- damning things found at that guy's house, but I didn't I didn't catch that it was I like think, literally the bodies of the victims. I think that there were at least some bodies found there because there was um I don't remember the dialogue, but there was a scene where he's like burning bodies. Right? Do you not remember that? Yeah. It shows him just like, like standing there and I think he might be like smoking or something and there's just there's some dead yeah. bodies like in a pile of other stuff. 
Right. But he's just got a fire going and there's a, like a couple right. dead bodies in there. So, yeah, I don't know. You wonder if like maybe the killer contracted that guy to dispose of yeah. them for yeah, him maybe. or something. Right. Yeah. So Unclear. it's like either he was dumping them there and that guy was so drugged out, he didn't really care <laughs> or he, or right. yeah, like you said, he was having him take the bodies. But in any case, so I sort of got that roughly that's what happened, but I don't really understand like how they realized that it was him at the end. It seems like from the female police officer's perspective, what was her yeah. name? Um, Julia Robson. Julia. Yeah. From Detective Julia's Julia perspective, yeah. there was something about this, this sewing tool. And from his perspective, yeah. it was like the guy's height, basically. He's, he's very <laughs> and tall. And the fact that right. he mentioned that his wife couldn't hack it. It just, it just was like, it seemed so flimsy what he was going off of in that moment. Right, right. Yeah, t- absolutely. Um, so I think her clue was that in the like items found at the crime scene of the first victim, there was this taxidermy like needle or like skinning device mm. or something like that, mm-hmm. right? And I think that was when Detective Robson realized like, oh, that is a thing that is only possessed by one person in this town, mm. right? That is a taxidermy specific tool, Gotcha. right? Um, and we just missed that, mm. right? We just didn't like grasp that that's what that was. Um, and I think at one point when um, Jim Cummings' character, John Marshall, like, goes to the library and is like looking up like information about those tools. I think in some ways he's sort of so uh, sort of on a bender at that point. Right. That he kind right? of misses and it's the just, significance. He just misses the, yeah, the significance of that particular thing, but she doesn't. Right. right. Um, so I think that that's how she figures it out. I totally agree with you that like uh, the way that, Jim Cummings sort of intuits that the killer, you know, that that tall man is indeed the killer is like, I think it's like he's tall (laughs) and has access to animal skins. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's really it. So that, that feels pretty flimsy aside from the fact that the guy like slams the door on him. Right. I I do do think um, there. I, it's the it's the mention of his wife, I think, that is specifically what seems off to him. I don't know if you picked up on that, but um, I actually went back to like watch some scenes in the movie to sort of piece it together for me because I think it, they were so fast, and the movie didn't really call attention to them. But like that character in the beginning, he's he's you know he's the guy who owns the house that the couple Mm -hmm. were renting from and he's like trying to get in or whatever. And he's like complaining and he, and he just says something about like, I need to, I need to talk to my wife or I need to tell my wife, my wife and I need to get in or something. So he's like Mm -hmm. referring to his wife at that moment. And then later in the film, when they're interviewing all these different people, he's just one of the many people who gets really frustrated. And he's like, you can't hold me here. Like I already, you can't possibly pin this to me. I told you everything you need. Mm -hmm. Now can I please call my wife? Right. Mm -hmm. So he's like referring to his wife. And then in this 
final scene, he, the, the, uh, Jim Cummings character like mentions his wife and he's like, Oh, I'm not married. And then, Mm -hmm. and then a minute later he's like, I mean, I, I actually was once, but you know, she couldn't hack it. And he's sort of, Mm -hmm. he's sort of acting a little strange about it. And so then, then when he sort of pauses outside the guy's door and he's like, I'm sorry, just something you said back then, you know, something you said back Mm -hmm. there. I think that's what he was referring to. He's just like, it's awfully strange. Like, I know you've talked about your wife in the present tense, like very recently, you know? Right. And then for you just now, you sort of made it sound like you haven't been married in a long time. And you actually acted like you'd never been married. And then you just acknowledged that you were, but then you said she couldn't hack it. I think, you know, to me, the implication is he killed his wife. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I think that's what he picked up on, but even that, you know, it's like, okay, so you picked up on this strange detail about this guy that he seemed to say that his (laughs) wife couldn't hack it in a kind of creepy way. And then he's really tall. (laughs) Yeah, so, right. Ironclad case hold up in court, you know. Yeah, um, right, right. But anyway, it was enough. I think that's in some ways. Uh, so I can't help but compare this movie in my mind to a movie like Zodiac, mm-hmm. um, where you know it's about. Uh, in that particular movie, it's more complicated than this. But in, at least this idea of like a detective or a police officer who is just sort of um, stymied by this case and cannot catch a break in this case. And we're watching these murders unfold, you know, one after the other, after the other. And, uh, I think the thing about that movie that's like so frustrating is how, uh, the officers in that film do follow due process. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't, like go rogue and they don't like just bust into people's homes without warrants. Like, yeah. because to actually get a conviction in a real murder case is hard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of the great sort of achievements of that film is like explaining methodically over a long movie to the viewer, how like it's really hard to build a winning case when all you have is like, intuition and unusual statements by potential suspects, but nothing potentially, uh, you know, that would convict them like this movie sort of, uh, I think has a lot of that sort of peppered in, but at the end, I think it's sort of like one of the sort of, I think in some ways like saving graces of the film is the fact that John Marshall as a character is like, not like a amazing cop (laughs) and he's so emotional that he's willing to just like jump in through a glass window to like make this thing happen because it's more than just a case to him by the end. This is like a calling. Right. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that that ending plays so well for me is it's like, he's like, all I know is that you're like super tall. Mm -hmm. You said something weird in the kitchen and you slammed the door on me. That's enough, right? That's enough for me to sort of like do what I need to do right now, which is both terrifying from like a rule of law perspective, but exhilarating from a film going perspective, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, I know it's funny. Even as you're saying this, I'm like 
recognizing that in a court of law, this would not be justifiable. But like in right. the movie, in the moment, I feel like when the guy slams the door on him, that's like a pretty clear admission of guilt to me. Right. Because right. like really it should be like he stands up straight and then he's like, I'm really tall. Where, where were you going with this? You know? Right. Like, is that right. a crime? Is, is being tall a crime? <laughs> right. But, but, and it's, and I'm, it's not really clear what, what John was going to do, you know, if he hadn't slammed the door. Cause he's just standing there and he's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I honestly, that, like that bit of acting, mm-hmm. just like the sort of resigned, <laughs> Like amb- sort of ambiguous, yeah, yeah. that he gives him. Yeah. It's sort. It's like you know, as a viewer, seeing that, it's like, oh, it's on, right? Right. right. <laughs> like right. Th- they're about to, they're about to dance. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's like him saying, he's like, I, I think I caught you. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, didn't I? That's, right. Yeah. To me, it's. Uh, I think it's sort of. If the guy, if he hadn't slammed the door, my thinking is that that sort of sigh and the yeah were basically like, I've seen enough that I know we're going to come after you now. Like, I'm going to pursue this pretty hard, but not necessarily like I'm going to barge into your house right now, you know? Right. But I think the fact that the guy slammed the the door door was like the provocation. (laughs) Now I got to move or else he's going to, you know, get away or. Right, right, right. Um, probably kill somebody again. You know, that's the that's the main concern because this guy's basically a serial killer in this movie. Yes, totally. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I mean, I really, I, I really found it satisfying. Really, the whole way it plays out, frankly, you know, the fact that it feels right to me that, like, ultimately, like he is going after this wolf murderer guy, but he's really not capable on his own of bringing the guy down and it's clear without his partner without um julia without julia he would probably just end up dead (laughs) um yeah that's exactly what would have happened yeah julia hits takes the guy you know shoots him because he's like he's you know attacked an officer but of course she just incapacitates him and then (laughs) leave it to john to just unload his gun into the guy's head right right you like julie was not going to do that she was going to take him in you know bring him to justice right 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 Uh, like a good which is what (laughs) but what he he does what uh the first victim's boyfriend says to do right like just point your gun at his head and unload until you see snow right until you see the ground underneath right um and it's like it it's that sort of vigilante justice that I think the movie is not taking too serious, like an examination of, right? Like yeah. I don't think this movie deeply cares about the legal process. Right. But at the same time, it is troubling, but also exactly what a movie like this sort of demands. Well, well, that's, that's why I was going to saying, I, I really, I found it very satisfying because I think two, I think the movie does two things very well. One, it's depicted this guy, um, the villain, I mean, in enough clarity, like he's, he's pure evil. You know, I mean, he, it shows one of the hardest scenes for me to kind of absorb was the woman and her daughter, 
right? That yeah. he, he clearly Horrible. kills them. And it's like for the movie to show you that this guy is just a remorseless monster basically makes John's actions at the end feel like pretty sort of acceptable, I think, to most people. You know, it's like this mm-hmm. guy deserved just to be just killed. You know, like I'm right. glad he's not in prison. I'm glad you just took him out, right? But at the same time, our sort of more civilized selves no, that's not what police officers are supposed to do. They're not just supposed to become enraged and e- even guilty people, even guilty murderers, they're not supposed to kill them in cold blood, right? Right. Which is why Julia is the one who becomes the sheriff, right? Because she absolutely yeah. deserves it. Like she's the one who right. from the beginning like conducted herself professionally, um, you know, competently. She didn't lose her cool. She didn't yeah. sort of go off the books. She didn't go, you know, outside. She didn't sort of put herself above the law. She she did things the right way, you know, the straight laced right. way. And so sort of the ending where she puts on her hat and it's and it says sheriff, you're like, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that, right. Yeah. In the world of the film, they've made the right choice. Like, and like the right I'm glad the that John shot the guy, but I'm also glad that she is the sheriff now. Right. She is yeah, the most totally. responsible person, the most qualified person who should be in that role. Right. Yeah. Um, and then one of the things I like about the end of the film is I think John agrees. Yeah. Yeah. He's not. I, I also like that. I feel like he's not bitter or resentful towards her. They don't. He doesn't like explicitly address it. Right. But, he, right. but I think the movie makes it clear that it's there's no bad blood between them. He's. Right. He he probably, uh, you know, can see clearly enough, like, one of us became completely incapacitated due to alcohol for, like, a solid month in the middle of this case. And one right. of us calmly and patiently continued trying to find the murderer, you know? Right. So which one right. of those two do you think should be the sheriff right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Re- re- remind me, does he... At the end of the film, is he out of the police force by the end? Or is he still an officer, just not the sheriff? You know, it's a good question. I don't remember. It might not actually be super clear because I don't think he's in like a police uniform at the end. Right. Right. I think I think the implication is he's not on the force anymore. It's possible. At the end. Yeah, I'm not I'm um, not sure. Yeah, I might have just missed the the details there though. I think it's sort of like he is focusing on being a dad yeah. and being sober. Yeah. You know, like sort of simple and very important life goals. And not right? beating up a college kid as he's very which, tempted to do. Which seems very likely to happen mm-hmm. at the very end of the film. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the, the thrill of the character, I suppose. Yeah. So lots of lots of great parts in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and like I said, I think um back to like the part about him not being bitter or whatever. I think one of the strengths of the movie is just very realistic, you know, three-dimensional characters. Like he yeah. I think there's a lot to like about John. I think there's clearly a lot to you know, take pity on him for and not view in a super positive light. Um the same can be said for his dad, um, for his 
uh, for some of the other cops on the force. I think Julia is, is viewed as pretty just purely good. There's not really a lot of, you know, negative qualities about her. But right. But I think that that has a lot to do with just her screen time. You know, like the movie, the characters it chooses to spend a lot of time with, it shows multiple sides to them um, yeah. for the most part. Something I really liked about the portrayal of Detective Robson is like, yes, as a professional officer of the law, she um, is just methodical and uh, sort of just takes a basic sort of level of um, professionalism into every conversation that she has. Um, But it also shows you, A, like the basic kind of disrespect and sexism that she deals with. I'm thinking about when she interviews those couple of guys um, who had had a little bit of a run in Mm -hmm. with the out of towners who eventually end up where the girlfriend is the first victim, right? How they sort of under their breath start uttering insults at her as she walks away and she absolutely hears them Mm -hmm. and just sort of like keeps moving. Right. She's like, not, not worth my time. Um, And then they also show her like doing her, research and thinking about the case like at night at home in her sweats Mm -hmm. right like eating ramen yep you know and it just sort of shows like she lives a pretty unglamorous life Mm -hmm. you know like she has to deal with um just sort of the back talk of like disrespectful townsfolk she's like her dinner is like a 69 cent you know like styrofoam package of of ramen it's like she's doing this just because like she wants to do a good job in her role. There's nothing. uh, And so I think in that regard, they, it sort of shows how frequently um, or almost uniformly women have to like deal with more crap and like deal with like, you know, just they have to work that much harder to get the same sort of opportunities afforded to their male counterparts. And so that was one of the things I was sort of, was thinking about right. when we were talking about themes at the beginning is just sort of this character is a useful examination of, of that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, how about fix the movie? Is there anything you'd like to do differently? Uh, I mean, I think the thing we've already touched on, which is like, let's try to make a slightly tighter case yeah. against Paul. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I think that would have improved it a bit. Um, something that one of the things that isn't really like a best part per se, I, and I don't know if maybe I was just reading this differently than you were, but something I noticed that, uh, I really loved and in some ways wished the movie had gone even a little bit further in this direction is, um, you know, in the second into the third act as John increasingly just becomes blackout drunk more and more. He's doing so frequently right around 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed this? Uh-huh. Like the, and so, um, and there's a great bit of like sort of uh, tragic, but also very good like physical comedy when he like sort of blacks out and like falls on his oven door mm-hmm. and like shatters the glass. Right? It's just like, what an inventive, weird moment to have happen in a movie. At any rate, um, I, I really thought the movie was sort of doing an interesting thing hinting at like, is, is he a werewolf? Right. right. right? Um, and I think that would have been really fascinating to put a little bit of a finer point on as like, 
because I think the movie does a great job sort of like walking you down these different sort of red herring kind of directions, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I would have loved for that to have been one of mm-hmm. them, right? For him to almost be like confronted with this idea. It's like, where were you between like 11 p.m. and 3 a.m. Yeah. like for the past several nights? And he'll be like, I don't. Right. I cannot account for what I was doing at those times, yeah. right? Um, there's even a moment at one point where his daughter, uh, Jenna, like comes home and he's like passed out in front of the fireplace and she sort of like gets extremely panicked and sort of gets him up the stairs and into bed. And it was one of those moments where I was like, does she know something? Mm. Is she like desperate to get him like into a locked room before something happens? Um, And obviously like the answer is no. Right. But I just, I really liked the movie sort of playing with that sort of angle Um, the same way, like to, to go back to Zodiac, like the sequence where, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character goes to the projectionist's house Mm -hmm. and is like, there's a, he's got a bunch of prints in his basement Mm -hmm. and he's like, there's not a lot of basements in San Francisco. And he's like, you know, I have one. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like this moment where it's just played extremely ominously. And the projectionist ends up being like a non-factor in the film. He's just, but it's like, you see sort of, uh, as like the characters who are obsessed with the case sort of see threats everywhere and see sort of connections to the case everywhere in ways that probably don't actually exist. And I, I liked this movie playing with that. Um, and you know, I think, in a perfect world, there'd be even more to that angle to sort of like string you along and make you think that that might be a possibility. Yeah. I could see that making the movie a little bit more compelling. I mean, you know, we mentioned earlier the movie's length and how rare it is for a film to be this short because these days it seems like, you know, two hours is kind of the the standard, right? Whereas that used right. to be kind of on the long side. Um, but this movie has had arguably could have added a bit more, you know, and still would have been, right. you know, a, a breezy hour 45 or something. Um, right. Yeah. I think you mentioned the other red herrings. I think I, I would say what you just said applies to some of those too. Like, like, you know, there's a, there's a dude who's introduced really early in the movie. Who's just clearly kind of a, you know, slimy, like unlikable person. And right. I feel like his own his only reason for existing in the film is as a misdirect, right? To make you think right. maybe it's this guy or maybe this guy has something to do with it. But it, yeah. you know, it doesn't do much with him other than just a couple of scenes where he's kind of he seems a little off, you know. Right. Um, right. I'd say same with the trailer guy, the drug addict in the trailer. You know, there's like a couple scenes where it just shows him, but there's not there's not very much to kind of lead you down that path. So it's almost like, you know, if the plot were a maze and these characters represented dead ends, they're dead ends that you reach really quickly. Whereas they should have been sort of, you know, taking you a while into down through the maze the wrong way, you know, where you, where you find it's one of those things where it's a dead end and it took you a while. In a more perfect world, in a more perfect world, like as the movie progresses and gets deeper, there become just this increasingly large number of plausible Mm -hmm. answers. Right. right? And I think 
the frustration, confusion, and sort of like tension of not being able to figure out mm-hmm. which one is the right one, I think is part of the fun of a movie like this. Right. Um, and and I, to your point, I think the movie kind of closes those off more quickly than I think I might have preferred. But that, you know, obviously that subjective part yeah. boils down to a matter of taste. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I think the really the main thing I would do to, to quote unquote fix the movie would just be um, really mostly just emphasize the the details that caused uh, Julia to recognize that it was the the um, why am I blanking on what is he what is his profession taxidermist the, um, the taxidermist yeah. yeah to to make it clearer how she comes to understand that it's him. I I actually, um, the interaction between him and John at the end, we talked about it a little bit as like, it seems a little strange that John jumped to such conclusions from that, from that, you know, conversation. But I think after we talked about it, thinking back on it, I don't really find too much fault with that bit of dialogue because John really was just, he found him sort of suspicious and he asked the question. I don't think that, I don't think that the actions of either character or, or, or of John in particular are that illogical. Like he asked a question and when he found out the guy was super tall, you know, we talked about the sigh and the, yeah, right. Like, yeah, that to me was, would all be consistent with him just having a strong suspicion and sort of deciding like, I'm going to be looking into this guy some more. Whereas when he, when he slammed the door, you know, that's when that sort of like, things went down from there. Right. But I don't, I guess I don't, uh, I guess the point I'm making is I wouldn't even necessarily change that. I think if it just became clearer why Julia was rushing to sort of help him, right. Then that would have sort of cleaned all that up for me a little bit. Yeah. 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 I think the movie's sort of basically asking you to understand that there's a taxidermy tool that was found with Brienne's body mm-hmm you remember the bit of a library book that John sort of photocopied. And then that's basically the connection. That's the extent of the connection you're being asked to make. Yeah. But I mean, it's those, it's those things, but also the fact that the, I, I feel like the movie just showed those things very briefly. You know, it wasn't, I, it didn't really like, to me, it didn't sort of emphasize them enough. I feel like a different movie, and I don't know if this would have been better or not, but it might have helped make the connection clearer anyway. I feel like a different movie, uh, Julia would have sent John a text or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. right? That's like, um, fa- you know, whatever, like some critical piece of triangulating information that helps him see like the connection between the weirdness he's observed the thi- like she knows one thing he knows a second thing right right and those two pieces of information together are sort of like ironclad mm-hmm. right i feel like that is sort of what a, a, a different movie or this movie in a different universe would have done and i think um that would have made it slightly more uh I think sort of airtight from a viewer's point of view yeah. but i actually i mean like as i mentioned before i kind of like that he's operating on hunch mm-hmm. and 
sort of like his gut. Cause that's kind of been his character the whole movie, yeah. you know? Um, and so I, you know, again, it's like not great if you're building an, a court case, but, um, so but knows. I think as far as like, as far as the character and as far as the, the, the tone of the movie, it worked for me. Yeah. All right. Well, same overall, anything else you'd fix about the movie or should we wrap up? Yeah, I would love for it to be 20 minutes longer. Um, I th- it's a great looking movie. Yeah. It took me a minute to sort of, um, and this might just be my, like my temperament, you know, I was just so bothered, uh, by the murders. Mm. Right. And maybe that's kind of the point. Um, cause it is a horror movie, right? Like people are going to yeah. get got uh-huh. in horror movies. But it just was so sad to me. Oh, yeah. Right? Like the these poor women who are in, you know, like, and the movie does uh, a really good job of humanizing these victims, mm-hmm. right? Especially victim number two and victim number three. Of course, like I'm saying humanizing them, referring to them by number, but uh, that irony is not lost on me. But like the snowboarding instructor, right? Like mm-hmm. the fact that she is telling her friend like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with this guy because he's the only guy in town who, like, pays any attention to me, mm-hmm. right? Even though he's abusive and bad for me, like, I'm just going to do it anyway because, you know, yeah. I need something, right? And just, like, those little moments, there's, like, very little of that with that character, but you immediately feel like you understand this poor woman and, like, sort of the prevailing sort of sadness of her life. And then similarly... Like the the poor the the mother and the young do- and the young child who end up getting killed by the murder. It's like you very much understand the relationship that this woman has with her daughter, and the, it's this very sort of like joyous, mm-hmm. like domestic, you know, like Norman Rockwelly kind of thing. And it just makes it that much more tragic that it's taken away. And so, it's like, they really bothered me. And I think in some ways that's kind of part of the point. Like John is haunted by the fact that these these real people with real lives had their lives cut short by this monster, and and I think it makes his sort of descent that much more um, that much more understandable. Yeah, and so I could like I, I just you know because all this stuff is so well done, I, it, it makes me wish that they had a little bit more time to, to stitch some of this additional connective tissue that we've been talking about together. And so, um, but, but all being, all that being said, all, this is a sort of a, a minor complaint. All I'm saying is like, I liked this movie a lot and, <laughs> and would have liked, liked more of more, it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think, I think with those characters, the women who were murdered, um, their intros felt like, like certainly with the snowboarding instructor, it felt like she was being introduced like a new character in the, in the movie, you know, like she was going to be important. And I I think that was kind of how the introductions of those characters felt that it didn't feel like, Oh, I'm being introduced to the next murder victim. It felt like, Oh, I'm being introduced to another, you know, potentially main player. I don't know how they're going to fit into the story, but then, but then that setup is is it's it's sort of subtle i don't know exactly like what about the way they're introduced does that has that feel but it's probably those little details that you were talking about um but just the fact that they feel like real humans um yeah i think that as you said totally added to the 
kind of um, it added to the the like horror of the actual killings and made his actions uh, more relatable. So um, yeah. I agree with that. Um, okay, I think we're out of I think we're out of stuff to fix. If, if if you're saying I want the movie to be longer because I liked it so much, then we're <laughs> then we're definitely out of out of nitpicks. Um, yeah, it's an unusual thing thing to be said in this podcast. But then again, this podcast likes long things, including itself being a long podcast. <laughs> yes, it's the Ouroboros uh, podcast. Yes. Um, so I guess the final question now is: Should we beam this movie up? I'm really struggling with this one because we've been sitting here talking for like over an hour about how much we liked the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember like my impression at the very, very end, like having watched it, was like was sort of like a, that was good, mm. right? Um, and so before I answer, I want your answer first. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I felt that way too. Uh, but I think it's a, a movie that I just, I kept thinking about, you know, um, and it's sort of like the fact that it stuck with me and I kept thinking about it and I, you know, kept thinking about how much I liked it and how much I liked the characters makes me think it's better than I thought it was when it first ended. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more special, like it, it, how special it is took a little bit longer for me to appreciate. Um, but now I feel like I do. I think I would beam it up personally. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where I I think because, um, my, I wasn't sure what my expectation, I I think I had some sort of subconscious set of expectations and I think the movie doesn't, didn't meet them Mm -hmm. in the ways that I expected it to. And therefore at the end I was like, Oh, okay. okay." Mm Mm-hmm. That was good, yeah. Right, yeah. but to your point, as I sort of think about it more, and I am able to accept the movie for what it is, uh, and not for being being uh, something that I kind of wished it was um, initially. But the thing it probably is probably better than the thing that I was hoping for. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm inclined to beam it up too. Let's do it's it. it's. Like I, I want to watch it again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and I want, and I like thinking about it. I, I really want to see more from this director. It's an exciting, funny, well acted movie. It borrows very sort of, I think, uh, respectfully and knowingly from other sort of, uh, horror movies and murder mysteries. Right. Um, I just think it's a great little, great little achievement and so yeah let's let's zip this sucker up into space let's do it there it's beamed it's done yeah you know i was thinking enjoy that astronaut as it, what's funny is i was thinking this movie feels to me sort of in the same vein as like a ready or not you know where it sort of yeah. came out of nowhere it wasn't like didn't have a lot of names attached to it that i was highly anticipating, but then I saw it and I was like, that was a little delight, you know? Um, yeah. Although having said that ready or not, we didn't, we probably didn't beam that up in the moment. Right. Uh, I don't think we did. 
But I, th- I don't but think, I think so. it, later when we were reflecting on the best of the year, we both were like, I was in the best of the year, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So this one, For sure. this one, I maybe just recognize it more, more now, you know, ahead of time. So, all right. Anyway, we've done it. We've discussed it. We've beamed it up. Yeah. We're done. I think we've done our civic duty. There you have it, everybody. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Great movie. Check it worth, out. Highly yeah, recommend Worth it. checking out worth beaming into space uh and i will uh we will need to split the uh the internet bill for space flicks this month yeah. because we're being a little bit beam up happy mm. in recent weeks and months um we'll have to count our yeah nasa the beam counters are calling yeah. all right well thanks for listening i'm dan i'm adam bye <laughs>